Hi everyone, Jason here. On May the 14th, Stephen and myself will be appearing with the one and only Mark Lewison at the Pavilion Theatre in Dunleary, Dublin. We're going to be celebrating 60 years of a hard day's night and we would love you to join us. For tickets, go to paviliontheatre.ie or nothingisrealpod.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Nothing Is Real, a podcast about the Beatles. Everybody thinks they know the Beatles, but how much do we really know? My name's Jason Carty. My name's Stephen Cockcroft. And we are live on tape from Dublin and Belfast. This episode is part two of side two of the White Album. And uh, the story so far is that in in November 1968, the Beatles put out the White Album. It has 30 songs. Side two has nine songs. And we went through the first four last week. Uh, Martha, my dear, I'm so tired, Blackbird and Piggies. We pick up the story with Rocky Raccoon. I can can feel we're going to spend... 40 minutes on Rocky Raccoon. Uh, Well, I'm fine with that, you know. Um, This is a song that was recorded in a single session. It is a track that... uh, was uh, constructed in India. So it came back and got featured on the Isher demos. And it was the 18th song out of 35 recorded for the White Album. So it's recorded bang splat in the middle of the sessions. Uh, and it does have all four Beatles on it. So that's yep. a plus. And it's it's uh, it's great. I can imagine it's right up your street, Steve. It is. It's, it's, it's no, no. <laughs> no? It, it's, it's, it's one of Paul's genre pieces his kind of exercises you know pastiche that that sometimes he gets criticized for by other people not by me obviously but yes. um, uh so yeah it's an interesting song I, I i don't think it's any better or worse than say bungalow bill yeah it's kind of similar similar to it, that i think they are of a pair bungalow bill the one yeah. is a a john version and one is a paul uh, version and uh, i wonder uh, which one came first i know they're both born of india but well, uh, they both yeah they both they both they both came came out of india but it, it 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 is an example of that where they sort of write one writes something so then somebody else writes something you know similar or in a similar vein or yeah, sort of story feels penny lane all that yeah, stuff yeah i can kind of do that as well as you can or i can do that better or they're they're, they're trying to get one up on the other um and uh i i think i probably prefer this to bungalow bill it's a kind of jaunty funny children's song yeah, yeah. I, listen i like rocky raccoon what 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 you notice in uh the recording of the white album and um, you know we might come back to this when we're discussing one of the later tracks is uh you know, people talk about the White Album being, well, it's really the four of them doing solo projects altogether. And I don't think that's true. No. But what you do see, and, you know, we said in an I'm So Tired, as you see a bit of solo John and his solo singing voice, is you do see their solo forms appearing. And something like Rocky Raccoon is the kind of jaunty Paul stuff that I think works in the Beatles universe. 
Yeah. But then when it gets into like the Wings universe and it's something like, say, Magneto Entertainium Man, you kind of go, oh, the, the tweeness that people kind of give out about McCartney Ford, that can sometimes take over a little bit, whereas the Beatles kind of keeps it in check, I think. I think I think that's a very good point. I think that is a good point. So even without there being something explicit uh, in, in what the Beatles are doing, I think the fact that what they bring to it, yeah, keeps keeps it in check. Yeah, it's kind of, well, if the Beatles are doing it, we better give it a bit more uh, attention or a bit more, not seriousness, but it's like, well, it's all part of the big Beatle fabric and that's fine. Uh, yes, and I mean, I think this is this is part of the the kind of magic of the White Album is that there might be individual songs that you think, well, if I take, take that out of the White Album and I look at it and I listen to it as a song, you think, oh, I don't particularly like that. Or, you know, that, that, that's I would change this or I would change that. But you put it back into the White Album and it kind of becomes more than the sum of its parts. You know, it works in the White Album in a way that it wouldn't work on its own or in it, on another album, perhaps. And, and the, the other thing that's kind of, and I think it's totally accidental about the White Album, and I don't know, can we even talk about it or define it, but there is a vibe to the White Album. Hmm. And Rocky Raccoon is kind of, it, it has that, that filter on it, that kind of White Album vibe and sound. And whether it's projection, I, I don't want to be sort of moody and say it's angsty or dark, but there is something about the White Album that's just a little bit, it, it dips into the strange and ethereal and dreamlike and kind of, uh, you know, it, when, when they say, you know, when Derek Taylor said, you know, this won't be a psychedelic record, it, it is stripped of all of that. You could see how Rocky Raccoon, if it was a psychedelic song, might be a bit more jaunty. Um, yeah. But, you know, it, it, it kind of, because it's living on the White Album, it just has a slightly different feel. Well, I mean, it's quite, you know, it's quite, it's quite jaunty. It's quite funny. It's quite, you know, Paul says this is like a Max Sennett movie. Yeah. So, and it, it is that kind of, it, it it does have that slightly kind of, uh, you know, silent movie, Hollywood, Western kind of vibe to it. But at the end of, at the, end of the day, you know, someone's getting killed. Um, well, that's the thing. Yeah, there's a murder in it. <laughs> but but this, 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 this works for me. Uh, and stands up to repeated listening in a way that Paul's other jaunty yeah. murder song, uh, Maxwell <laughs> Silverhammer, doesn't. Well, and I think I think I think the reason why it it for me anyway why it bears repeated listening is because of the pastiche nature yeah. of it, because it's a genre exercise, because it does just take you back to cowboy movies that you watched as a kid yeah. with some swing somebody playing doors that kind and of somebody walking swing doors and, and yeah. attack tack piano and saloons <laughs> and, and saloon girls and and you know all the baddies wore black hats and it's it's yeah it's welcome it's, to it's the funny. old saloon yeah <laughs> welcome to the old saloon yeah there's a you you've summoned maxwell silverhammer so i do think this song oh. is I think this song is paving on the road to Maxwell Silverhammer, 100%. And actually, when you yeah. delve into, they have a reproduction of one of Paul's main notebooks from India in the White Album box set. Mm -hmm. And what you actually notice scrawled at the back of the book is a couple of lines of Maxwell Silverhammer, just a few pages away from where he has written Rocky Raccoon. So if you look at the... The, the White Album box set book, there's this notebook and he's in it, he's written Obladi Oblada, Mother Nature's Son, back in the USSR, Rocky Raccoon, Junk and Honey Pie. And there's a couple of other scribbles and one of the scribbles is Maxwell. So Maxwell's is definitely percolating at the same time as Rocky Raccoon. Yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh, that's a resigned yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just, I, 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 as I say, I think I like Rocky Raccoon because 
it's it's a fully formed kind of genre exercise, like Honey Pie, and I think Honey Pie and Rocky Raccoon sit together for me. That this is these are Paul's kind of, uh, you know, that he's evoking. Yeah. something probably from his own childhood i mean i think this is this is and so much of this um of the white album is about childhood you know we talk about you know uh sergeant pepper or, or magical mystery tour and 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 the, the kind of whimsy of english psychedelia in 1967 is about childhood mm. but actually it it percolates through this album as well but as you say it's a much darker yeah, uh, a feeling to it, and if he's kind of conjuring up, um, you know, the the Saturday morning double feature that he went to see at the local cinema as a kid, he 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 does it perfectly. But there is a kind of dark aspect. Well, to in, in this album comes out at the end of '68, and depending on where you start the clock, but rock and roll, you could say, is about 13 years old at that mm. point. You know, it's still a new medium. So what is striking about the White Album is you take something like Rocky Raccoon with its Western vibes, or as you say, silent film vibes. Well, that's going back to maybe the 20s or 30s. Honey Pie goes back to the 20s type style as well. Um, But that's only 40 years ago. That's no different to The Weeknd in 2021 releasing an 80s style track. You know, it's the same time gap. Uh, It just seems maybe stranger to us 50 years down the line. But if they're constantly making stuff, the Beatles, they're allowed to look back further than the 13 years of rock and roll if they're trying to pull out a few different forms, you know? I think so. And the, 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 the one thing is he, he, he does it so well. Uh, you know, yeah. it's, it's absolutely perfect. It's absolutely spot on. Um, well, yeah, it is good. I mean, Paul to say, like in Mojo in October 2008, he acknowledged that it's a pastiche saying, I was basically spoofing the folk singer. George Martin said it was filler and it's the type of album that, uh, you know, uh, it's the type of track that wouldn't have made it as a double. And I suppose, you know, if I'm still playing the case for Maxwell Silverhammer, the problem with Maxwell Silverhammer is it's the first time you hear Paul on Abbey Road. If Abbey Road was a double album and Maxwell Silverhammer was on side three, we wouldn't give a hoot. I, I think that's right. I think, uh, uh, you know, this is the Abbey Road podcast now, but I, I, <laughs> I think you're absolutely right that the, the placing of of Maxwell Silverhammer following come, come Together and something. Yeah. You know, if they put Oh Darling next as third, yeah. as third and Maxwell fourth or Octopus's Garden fourth and, and Maxwell fifth but uh... um, but we're looking at this side two of the White Album Rocky Raccoon is song five right in the middle of nine and you know Paul has five songs on this album so it's just another Paul song you can you can yeah. absorb it and move on to the next thing but the other person we need to summon again once more is Donovan hey and this is this is a more definite jam with Donovan Yes, absolutely. I mean, Paul in 1968 talks about sitting on the roof of a building in India with a guitar and said, John and I were sitting around playing guitar and we were with Donovan and we were just sitting around enjoying ourselves. And I started playing the chords, messing around. It was originally Rocky Sassoon. Mm. And we just, the three of us started making up words and started to write them down. They came very quickly. And eventually I changed to Raccoon because it sounded more like a cowboy. So there it is. Um, and he just talks about, it, it, it's almost just a free form exercise. The words just come into his head and he compares it to John writing his books. Um, yeah. You know, I said, I don't know how he does it. And he doesn't know how he does it. He just writes. Um, you think, how did he do that? But it actually just flows. It flows into your head from their head into their hand and they write it down and that's it. 
When when John is doing his big who wrote what in 1980, I do like, you know, when he says somebody else is some rocky raccoon, he goes, yeah. Paul, can't you tell? Would I go through all that trouble about Gideon's Bible and that sort of things? Maybe he, he got stuck and I helped him, but it's it's mainly him, you know? Well, he says that, but it's it's Bungalow Bill is exactly the same. Yeah, well, he is playing uh, He is playing the harmonica on this. I don't know when yeah. we last had yeah, John yeah. on the harmonica. Yeah. And a bit of accordion, apparently, is, is right. John as well, okay. uh, if you if you believe the White Album box set. Um, and you've dug up a, a narrative poem called The Shooting of Dan McGrew. Yes. Oh, you seem happy. <laughs> this is, this is, this, I, I'm going to do this as my party piece. Uh, okay. Yeah, this is, this is written by Robert Service from dates from 1907. And uh, it, it's one of those sort of, I was going to say Victorian, but that's Edwardian. But this is one of those Edwardian kind of musical, um, you know, people would get up and do this as a party piece. But all the elements are here. And it does kind of strike me that, that, Maybe unconsciously, Paul is is reaching back to you know something that he heard as a kid, or one of his aunts or uncles got up. I just I'm gonna I'm gonna do the first verse. Okay, this is the shooting of Dan McGrew by Robert W. Service, as read today on Radio Four for Poem of the Day by Stephen Cockcroft. A bunch of the boys were whipping it up at the Malamute Saloon. The kid that handles the music box was hitting a jag time tune. Back at the bar in a solo game sat dangerous Dan McGrew. And watching his luck was his light of love, the lady that's known as Lou. And it goes on. There's about 20 verses. There's about 20 verses. We'll do that at the end. But, um, <laughs> when out of the night, which was 50 below and into the din and the glare, there stumbled a miner fresh from the creek, stark dirty and loaded for bear. I mean, you, you, certainly when you listen to Rocky Raccoon, you know, uh, I would have noticed this when I listened to it for the first time. You're like, well, I, I know what that is, but I don't know why I know what that is or where it comes from. I can't actually say what the direct lineage is. Yeah, I think it's just one of those kind of archetypes yes, that every, yeah. every, everybody knows. And clearly that poem was, you know, 1907. That's uh, kind of... It has that meter. Yeah. It has that meter. Cowboys are roaming the Wild West and the Victorians or the Edwardians back in London are entertaining themselves with these things. And it's it's just, it's kind of a, a, a you know, a cliche. I don't want to say cliche, but it's a kind of archetype yeah. of, of a cowboy story and saloons and saloon girls. And, and Miss um, Marple reads it in a 1964 film, Murder Most Foul. I recommend everybody uh, watch Bargett Rutherford uh, <laughs> deli- <laughs> deliver, that's, deliver. That's one for the kids. It's one for the kids. Uh, <laughs> definitely, definitely. But um, uh, I... I I could not bring myself to Google this, but apparently <laughs> Ronald Reagan and Canadian Prime Minister Brian Mulroney uh, used to do their own alternating recital of the poem in private meetings and in public. But I'm not going there, folks. No, let's not go there. Um, so the the Donovan is there when it comes to life in India. It comes back in the songbook uh, from India, as we said. It's it's one of the songs in, in Paul's book, and so it gets laid down. In a, in a May Isher demo, which doesn't yeah. include any kind of doctor references. It's a little bit lyrically different. And, uh, you know, his little town in Minnesota, you know, is, is kind of what he's singing about. And what's curious is that when it eventually does get recorded, and as I said, it's the 18th of 35 songs recorded uh, for the album. So it's in the middle of side two and it's in the middle of the recording sessions. Um Paul is kind of trying to record it as live and very pointedly he says, you know, because it's this narrative storytelling thing, the vocal has to be live and the same each time. You can't drop in a line, you can't edit takes together. It has to flow. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, although he's he's kind of working on the lyrics right up to the point where they uh, they, they they start recording, and he yeah. does this kind of American in character. Yes, in, in inverted commas, uh, accent, um, which uh, you know, as as his introduction, and in in the white album box, it says this this is a kind of imitation of Lonnie Donegan's preamble to Rock Island Line. Now here's the story about the Rock Island Line. You know, it's a kind of yeah. introduction to that skiffily uh, sound. I always thought the accent was maybe. You know, Linda it was kind of nod to Linda or yeah. spoofing Linda or sending Linda's accent. Well, the other oh. lady in the scene at the time is Frankie Schwartz, isn't it? She's Francie, also American. Francie Schwartz. Francie yes. Schwartz, pardon me. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, there are Could Americans be. in his orbit. There are American women left, right and centre. Indeed. Uh, but it could have been it could have been to amuse either of them. Uh, but yeah, it's it's now depending on whether or not um uh, is George playing bass or not? We're not sure. Or is John on bass? It's the the White Album box tells us that uh, maybe they're both playing bass. What what is George's role? Yeah, on this? I don't. Well, yeah, I, I don't hear two bass tracks on this. No. But um, you know, we know that John is kind of noodling away on harmonica. We know that Ringo's there on drums, and we know that Paul's on acoustic guitar, and George Martin is doing the. Uh, piano. Um, it's a classic George sneak in the back and it is when he adds on that. the piano solo, yeah. half speed piano solo well, at the end. Every, every, everyone's off at lunch and he just <laughs> overdubs, overdubs some piano on everything. You imagine this, every track has some George Martin. <laughs> uh, the, the, the thing. Um, but he but is yeah, playing with them live apparently. He is playing with them live. Um, yeah. But uh, some reports say that George Harrison just sits this out, that he's up in the control room and then George Martin goes up and joins him there um, after he's done his piano part so uh, there seems to be some doubt as to whether George actually plays George Harrison actually plays on this although he he does appear on the on the demo he's, he's mm. doing kind of a little country style and it's recorded over nine takes um, take eight is on Anthology 3 and the White Album box set it has this kind of different mm. intro Rocky Raccoon he was a fool unto himself there are bits of that version where it, it kind of uh segues off into what sounds like Gotta Get Up by Nielsen, which obviously isn't a song that exists yet. Yes, yes, yes. That's exactly what it reminds me of. That's exactly uh, yeah. what it uh, But that, that's not in the final uh, take nine, which is the version that uh, that they has John and Harmonica. And uh, George is there, we think, for background vocals, you know? Yes, he does. Uh, he does background vocals. Um, and it's, it's a song that kind of hangs around a bit. There's a, have you seen the Raquel Welsh and Bob Hope version? Not until you sent me the link. Or yeah. at least I, when I watched it, I thought there's something vaguely familiar about this, but obviously I had wiped it from my memory until it's the you type very of kindly. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's the type of thing that, yeah, you might. I mean, it's this kind of 10 minute. Uh, it's from a CBS TV special in 1970, and it's 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 Raquel Welsh and Bob Hope singing Rocky Raccoon with the most literal sort of reenactment of what's going on, whereas Raquel Welch is the the everyone knew her as Nancy type female, yeah. and uh, Bob Hope is Rocky Raccoon, and yeah, the he's playing Ra both sides. Raquel Wells playing Mae West. Yes, and it's all yeah, it's all that kind of format. It's and terrible. It's all. I mean, it's it's the sort of thing that I just. I imagine all American comedy shows in mm. 1970 were like this. That, yes. that you had people from a different era, Bob Hope, trying to kind of keep up with the times. And um, yeah. uh, it's just it's terrible. Even, even the quality of the film and everything about it is just 
wretched. Well, I, I, yeah, I've, maybe I'm I'm just the wrong age. I never got Bob Hope. You know, I just I just don't. You know, he's he always struck me as very old school, a bit hacky. Uh, you oh, know, particularly when well, he. Um, okay, not, what I'm, am I? No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not dissing Bob Hope, but I mean, I'm dissing Bob Hope in 1970. 70. Okay, 19, maybe that's fair. Enough. But you know, we, we, the the road to movies with Ben Crosby. You know. Once again, the, the kids to, are going to love this episode. Miss Marple, the road, the road, the road movies, uh, the road to Morocco, <laughs> uh, like Web, like Webster's like Webster's Dictionary. We are Morocco bound. That's that's a good one. <laughs> oh lord, I couldn't remember that as from a kid. Anyway, uh, welcome well, to the Hope and Land of Hope and Crosby. Uh, yes, uh, Bob Hope and Raquel Welsh TV special is well worth seeking out. But it it, it goes to yeah, no, it is it's this, not. No, it's no, not. It's, well, Don't okay. tell people it's. <laughs> Well, obviously, yeah. When I say well worth seeking out and destroying, I didn't finish the sentence. Well, yes, yes. Uh, it's, it's, but it's, it, 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 it goes to show this odd world that the Beatles uh, existed in, where their music was, you know, this is an album that is inspiring. Uh, this sort of light entertainment stuff, you know, it, it, it subsumes itself into that world very quickly. And it's also yeah. making people do other crazy things in other parts of the world. They they, they, they are just controlling the universe, you know. Um, there is, a, it's, a, it's a song that also appeared on a flexi disc. I had never heard about this, but now that I've heard about this, I want a copy. So if anyone would like to donate, I think we should start a Nothing Is Real <laughs> kind of museum. Yes, that's a good people, idea. People that nobody can, can visit, and that no is one just can, in no our one, house. No one can visit, but we can we can host. That will be one in Dublin and one in Belfast, and we Sounds have good. these things. And occasionally, we'll take photographs of things that people send us and put them up online. So if anyone, <laughs> but no one can visit. Um, definitely, no one can visit. Um, uh, yeah, this is in 1982, a flexi disc with Rocky Raccoon and Why Don't We Do It in the Road? Because those two songs go together. Makes sense. Was, was released as a promotional tool by Capital, and they were given given away at I, I don't know these stores, uh, Musicland, oh yeah, Discount, Sam Goody record stores. Every time you bought a Beatles album, you got one of these flexi discs uh, on clear vinyl, and uh, the picture was the one used on the back cover of the Hey Jude album. So if anyone has that, yeah. would like to, would like to send us a picture of that, or better yet, would like to actually send us. We need two, obviously. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, one of those, I would like to hear it, see it, have it. It's, yeah, it's. Uh, I I hadn't heard of that. I don't know. Have you, I haven't even looked it up on uh, on Discogs. Is it there on Discogs? I didn't check. You're uh, the Discogs man. I am the Discogs man. Uh, I'm trying to look it up over my shoulder here, and I can't seem to find it. Uh, Richie Havens did put it out as a single in 1970. Yes, that's odd version as well. That's yeah. that's that's. It, but again, everything Richie Havens does is <laughs> sounds like Richie Haven. Um, so that is yeah, that is Rocky Raccoon, and it ends a trio of animal-based songs. Uh, if you're paying attention, Blackbird, Piggies, and Rocky Raccoon, which all get bunched together, we assume intentionally. You would think so, and arguably, Martha, my dear, that animal song. Uh, well, the other question well, is, why didn't they put in Everybody's Got Something to Hide Except Me and My Monkey, which is the other animal song that's hiding in the album. That's true. Yeah, true. So I don't know. It's hard to know. Anyway, all roads have been leading to what happens next on the album. The highlight a, of the album. <laughs> uh, with a tinkling of a piano and whatever, seven or eight drum beats, we are heralded in to Don't Pass Me By, the inaugural appearance of Ringo uh, as a vocal on the album and also his inaugural appearance as a songwriter 
solo. He has already um, he has already ruined what goes on on, uh, on, on Rubber Soul. How so, do you know it wasn't ruined before he got there? I can't. Well, it's the only song which is Lennon McCartney star and I just have to assume since all the previous Lennon and McCartney songs up until that point were, were rather good yeah. absolute bangers that um, Lennon McCartney star was not the hit making songwriting trio that it should have been so I'm just going to assume that he subtracted to, from it but here we are Don't Pass Me By written by Ringo Starr uh, the Ringo song on the first album and it took him what about 12 years to write apparently <laughs> Well, about six years, about six years. Uh, you realise okay. now, you realise Ringo's never coming on this podcast now. I realised that a long time ago. You okay. Know? Well, yeah, this, 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 uh, supposedly he played this song for, well, the, 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 the first origins of this song were played uh, to the other Beatles back in August 1962. Um, and it gets mentioned in 1964. Mm. Uh, there's a BBC session where they're introducing uh, And I Love Her on Top Gear and Ringo was asked if he'd written a song and Paul mocks him and sings uh, Don't Pass Me By, Don't Make Me Cry, Don't Make Me Blue, Baby. Mm. That's not very nice, Paul. <laughs> well, even John in 1968, rather amusingly, when he's interviewed at the start of the recording sessions, because uh, Don't Pass Me By is the second song recorded for the White Album. The first song recorded for the White Album is Revolution, and we talked about that in our Revolution episode. So it's very curious that the second song they record for the White Album is not a Paul song, not a George song. It's Ringo's song, which I, think I don't know what... just get out of the way. <laughs> Why would it be that way? I'm not sure. It seems that it's, you know... Uh... I, I don't know what the it, maybe there isn't maybe we're just reading too much into it as fans but the band politics that says you know we're going to the you know we're, we're working on our new album and traditionally the Ringo song is the last thing to get under yeah. the wire and now it's the second song that's being recorded for the record is very striking I have to say you know it is and uh, but it's a good quote so oh yeah oh yeah John's quote says um, he's being inter- <laughs> he's being interviewed at the start of the recording sessions and he says we've just done two tracks both unfinished the second one is Ringo's first song that we're working on at this very moment. He composed it himself in a fit of lethargy, which is a nice, (laughs) (laughs) it's like, thanks Paul, you know, don't call us or thank you Ringo when he gives him the flowers. It's, it's, uh, but it is, uh, you know, the magic of the Beatles dynamic is that I don't think anyone was annoyed at recording um, Ringo's song. And it's, uh, you know, it's a good song. It's a good song. It is a good song. And it, you know, contains some very, very odd, uh, very odd lyrics. Um, And again, it's one of those songs that you think if you take it out of the White Album, you know, would you, it it doesn't perhaps work as well. Although we'll perhaps revisit that uh, uh, when we're talking about this. Um, But, you know, it's fairly basic. Ringo is, is, you know, very open about the fact he said, you know, he plays three chords on the guitar or the piano. And he just kind of works away. And he's clearly been sitting on this song for five or six years. Um, and it was originally called uh, This Is Some Friendly. Yeah. With not not the best title, perhaps. Um, and then when they start recording it, it's just known as Ringo's Tune, Untitled. <laughs> um, and it's, the, it's, it's one of those tracks that's layered up. So you have Ringo on drums and Paul on piano. Or, it's uh, just uh, Ringo p- and Paul on this track. Yeah. John yeah. and George are not actually yeah. on it. Yeah, and then they just kind of uh, you know build up on that basic uh, uh, rhythm rhythm yes. track. Um, so yeah, um, I, I like this song. And then they get they get Jack Fallon is the 
the fiddle player. Fiddle player. Yes. Um, who comes in and he's very specific in, in the Lewison book. Uh, he said, you know, George Martin had jotted down a 12 bar blues and he said a lot of country fiddle is double stop. We were playing two notes simultaneously, but George Martin, who were doing the arranging with Paul. So again, Paul is involved on the arrangement saying just play a single note. So it's, he's saying it's not really a country sound, mm. but they seem pleased. And uh, they do. So again, yeah. it's just it's kind of subverting the sound. It's 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 a country sound, but it's not a kind of traditional. They, they do throw some things at this. So as you say, it's called This Is Some Friendly at some part. And on the 50th anniversary box set, you hear the version with the This Is Some Friendly lyrics yeah. where they just yeah. are doing these kind of odd whispered overdubs. This is some friendly, this is some friendly uh, at the end. It, it doesn't, that doesn't work at all. It doesn't make any sense. So that's taken off. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing that they do that they take off is they record um, uh, an orchestral introduction, which we meet many years later on Anthology 3 as A Beginning. I find that hard to believe. Well, it makes a bit more sense when you hear it in the context of the box set, because in the box set, they run a beginning into Don't Pass Me By. Do you, think um, that, do you think that works? I don't think it works, which is why they took it away. But Yeah, I, I, but, but, but what, were they, what, what were they thinking? Well, I mean, it... it I think if you're thinking it could have been just a bit of a joke, like if you were reading the sleeve in November 68 and you're like, well, here comes Ringo's song and you hear this rather ornate yes, classical introduction maybe. to go, here we go, here we go, here we go. And then it's like, bum, 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 you know, uh, that could maybe. be the gag. I don't maybe, know. Maybe it was a joke. I've, al- I've always, got, from the first time that appeared on Anthology 3, I thought, I, I, I can't hear the two things together. And then when they did present them spliced together, I thought, no, it still doesn't. Work. Yeah. But yeah, it could it could just have been an elaborate joke. Yeah, and and I'm all for elaborate jokes. I mean, the, the fun thing about a beginning is it becomes the interesting trivia question of can you name the only Beatles song that is not written by any of the Beatles nor features any Beatles? And yeah. it is a beginning, which is credited to George Martin. Um, but yet it's still a Beatles song. Isn't it weird how that stuff happens? I yeah. love that type of stuff. Um, so instead, they just edit a few seconds of uh, of uh, 45 seconds of tinkling piano down to eight. And it just does the trick. I think feeding, you know, coming out of the sequencing. And I- I'm wondering, did they cut a beginning when they did the big sequencing session in October? Could be. Uh, that the tinkling piano makes a lot more sense in the context of saying goodbye to Rocky Raccoon. It's like, you know, they're tinkling out of the bar for Rocky Raccoon. And then here comes this other kind of... S- I know it's not country music, but it has a certain type of it has synergy, Stephen. You know, isn't that the word? It, it, there are it, it synergies. Has synergy, between Jason. It does. It does have a synergy. Well, Jason, I think it does have a synergy. <laughs> synergies. Um, yeah, and uh, you know, I have to admit, again, I was listening to it in preparation for this, Stephen. I got an awful shock thinking Paul was dead. Awful shock. Awful shock. Oh, I was just awful really shock. upset. Was I right to think that? I think so. He was in a car crash and he <laughs> lost his hair. <laughs> As opposed um, to you were in a bike crash and you chipped your tooth, which yeah, should have been the line. It, it should have been the line. Um, <laughs> yeah, that is such a fantastic line. It is. It, yes. it's, it just, it's just an insane lyric. I mean, it's just that you think of all of them, of all of the, all of the four of them to come up with that line. Because it's such a, a sort of prosaic yes. uh, lyric up to that point about clocks ticking on the mantel shelf. And, so, and then, bang, you were in a car crash and you lost your hair. I'm sorry that I doubted. I mean, it's weird. I, I, did, see, I did see an internet meme uh, once, which was, you know, these kind of motivational posters 
where, mm. you know, it's like a black frame and there's some writing at the bottom. And it just said, you know, you were in a car crash and you lost your hair was all the poster said. And uh, it just made me laugh because I'm a Beatles person. don't know why that was funny. <laughs> it, well, it never it never doesn't make me laugh when yeah. I hear it. Now, um, we are going to talk about, though, I don't think and you don't think that this is the definitive version of Don't Pass Me By. I don't. Um, I don't. What I is don't. the definitive version of Don't Pass Me By? The definitive version is Ringo's solo version that was made in 2017. And this, uh, no joke, this is great. This is a fantastic track. And I was, someone on Twitter the other day said, you know, if you were having sitting having breakfast with, with Ringo, what? questions would you ask him and people were saying you know what was it like being in the Beatles and what do you think about Pete Bass um, I think it would be why has there never been a follow-up to Bukus of Blues yeah. and this this redo version of 2017 explains exactly why that needs to happen yeah. uh, this, this is a fantastic version it appears as a bonus track on his album Give More Love and he's backed by a band who I think are called Vandeveer okay uh, there's also a new version of Photograph as a bonus track on that album. And uh, I don't know anything about Van de Veer, but I, I went straight to Wikipedia, the source of all Must be true. knowledge. And uh, they say Van de Veer is an American uh, Louisville, Kentucky-based indie folk musical project uh, spearheaded by singer-songwriter Mark Charles Heidinger. Van de Veer has released five albums and three EPs since 2007, touring extensively throughout the US and Europe. Have they ever played in Ireland? I don't know. I haven't they are new to me. Um, so apparently the story is that Van Der Veer and Ringo shared the same uh, publicist and uh, she, she, she arranged uh, for Van Der Veer to play at one of Ringo's annual birthday okay. uh, events. And then there was an invitation. Would they like to record those songs just with stripped down, stripped back versions? And they did that. Uh, just they, yeah. they, as if there would be no Ringo and then they sent them off and... Uh, possibly for inclusion in a future project. And I think, I, I think, I mean, there've been rumors from time to time about a country album coming and you think, well, maybe this was the opportunity, you know, the opportunity yeah, this, to do this. So that's what they were thinking. Of. But anyway, um, after that, they, uh, it, it turns up as a bonus track and it's a complete waste as a bonus track. It's a superb version. Yeah, it is a really good version. And uh, it's just, it's, um, yeah, it's it's kind of serious, you know. It's not it's not a joke or a lark, you know. It's just don't pass me by done in a reflective country version. It's it's kind of slow. Yes, and the guitar playing on it is wonderful. And yeah. uh, if Ringo's listening to this podcast, I'm sure he is. Um, he should get together with Vanderveer and do a country album. Absolutely, absolutely. So if, if anyone out there listening to this hasn't heard that, go and listen to it. Dig it out on your streaming yeah. service, buy a copy or look it up on YouTube yeah, or whatever. I think it's on Spotify, but certainly on YouTube. And, yeah, Can I give you my, uh, he, he sings the song with his all-star band as well, but can I give you the fun fact? I love fun facts. Fun fact. Uh, the original version was released as a single in Scandinavia right. and got to number one in Denmark in April 1969. That's strange, isn't so it? So it's a number one single. Although yeah. they did on the single uh, miscredit it to, uh, as a Lennon, <laughs> Lennon McCartney song, but still it got to number okay. one in Denmark. Not to put you on the spot, do you know what was on the B-side? I don't know what was on the yeah. B-side. I thought you were going to ask me, is, is country music big in uh, Denmark? <laughs> I don't know. It's seems, a country, I suppose. Seems, seems unlikely. 
Suzanne Isley. Yes. Um, yeah, that's that. And, and again, you know, you think April 69, you know, why is that so far away? But it's just down the road, you know. I know they'd moved on to uh, Get Back and the Ballad of John and Yoko. And all yeah, that. they'd already done Ballad of John and Yoko, Let It Be, and they were Get Back, and they were moving into Abbey Road. But still, you know. Um, yeah. So that's another thing. If anybody from uh, Denmark would like to uh, send us a copy of that for the Nothing Is Real Museum. Well, not, not to tip into a general White Album discussion, but, you know, the, the, there was the, the notion that the White Album was going to be performed live or there was going to be live mm. gigs in December 68 yeah. in the Roundhouse in Camden, which were advertised very, very briefly and would totally change our perception of the album or the band if if instead yes. of doing January 69, they'd just done some gigs in December 68 in the in the Roundhouse. That would have been... Can you imagine that? Can you imagine oh, them doing, it's, it's just, I, I'm so tired... Uh, well, there are many songs on the album, and we know, as we said, from Paul's live sets in eight years, there are many songs on the album that just would work live. Half yeah. of that album would work fantastic yeah. live. Paul, Paul doing Blackbird on his own yeah. uh, in, in the Roundhouse, you know? Ah, oh, Roundhouse is a great venue. Yeah, I've, for, I've, for, only, I've only been there once, uh, and that was to see uh, Nick Mason's uh, Souls Full of Secrets. It seemed uh, kind of fitting, you know. Uh, I saw Ray Davies there, uh, which is nice. Anyway, um, so yes, let's uh, don't pass me by. Nothing, nothing wrong with don't pass me we by. We love, love it. it. We love it. End of part one. Intermission. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. End of intermission. Part two. Let's move on. The next track is Why Don't We Do It In The Road, which is not capitalized on the album sleeve, except for the WFY, which is interesting. Um, and it was, uh, if anyone's looking for nuance, uh, you've come to the wrong song. It was written in <laughs> India when Paul saw two monkeys copulating in the street and wondered why humans were too civilized to do the same. Um, can you answer that question, Stephen? <laughs> what, what, why humans are too civilized to do the same? Yeah. I think it's because they're too civilized to do the same. Ah, that would make sense. Yes. It's this for the is... same reason that we can drive cars, I guess. Yes. This seems very mm. not Paul, this song. Yeah. I always assumed as a teenager when I bought this album, I always <laughs> assumed. Always. Always assumed always. Uh, that this was uh, a John Lennon song. And, oh, that, that, really? and that this was John singing. I don't know why. It doesn't sound like John. Um, it's clearly not John. But I think it was just the subject matter, the title. It just seemed more of a John topic. 
Well, it is. It is the 34th of 35 songs recorded for the White Album. It was recorded right at the end. And like Don't Pass Me By, it is... Um, it is just Paul and Ringo. But you talk about it sounding like a John song. Fascinatingly, John loved this song. Yes. And was very annoyed at not being included in it. Would well, you think this was Paul being slightly passive aggressive? Or aggressive aggressive? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's clearly a song that that John would have liked. And Paul must have known that. And, you know, in 1972, John says this is one of his best. Mm. Um, Why does John like it so much? Is it just the primal nature of it? I I think it is. I think it's because this is. I think it's because it's not Paul. It's 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 very yes. out of character. It's uh, John for all of the kind of passive aggressive things that come later and the aggressive aggressive things that come later. Paul, you know, genuinely admires Paul, but always feels that Paul, I think, is just too buttoned up. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you know, like he's the one that you know Paul talks about, you know, Paul McCartney goes too far. That was going to be the name of his solo album and it was going to be all these kind of outrageous things. And John is encouraging him, yeah, do you know, from 66, 67, yes, do it, do it, put it out. But Paul's commercial sensibilities always intervene. Mm. Um, and we can yeah. argue, you know, we can do three or four or five episodes on whether that's a good thing or a bad thing across the Beatles canon, particularly across his solo canon. But always you get a sense that that Paul is is slightly reining things in. And even when he doesn't, when he kind of, you know, give Ireland back to the Irish or high, 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 the studio version, they're, they're, there's something quite polite about them. You yeah. know, um, th- there's nothing polite about this, either in the, the lyrical subject matter or in the, the, the kind of stripped back performance. And the fact that the lyric is one line, well, they are doing kind of mantra songs at the time. Yeah. So you have What's the New Mary Jane and you have You Know My Name, Look Up the Number, bobbling around in the background. Uh, so, you know, and they are kind of Lenin constructs. So this, Yeah, this is like, I want you, she's so heavy. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just, it's absolutely bare minimum. And you, you, you imagine this is a fragment of a song that Paul has had lying around, you know, in his head, maybe, uh, since India. Well, he's written it in India, but it's not laid down in Isher. You know, it no, doesn't appear anywhere no. so until he has this time to kill. Yeah, so he's got this... I, I think it's just a fragment. Mm. And uh, that John is off in the next studio with Yoko, with George, doing yeah. Revolution 9. Paul is excluded. So you think, okay, well, screw you. And he, he records this. Um, yeah, this is recorded near the end of the sessions, 34th song out of 35, as we said. And it seems that John and George were supervising overdubs on Piggies and Glass Onion um, and doing that kind of work. And Paul starts, why don't we do it on the road and then by himself and then ropes in Ringo. So, yeah. you know, as we said, John is annoyed that he's not there. John wasn't particularly annoyed about not being involved in Blackbird or, no. you know, any of the other songs. No. But this one particularly appears to have... Uh, um, uh, wound him up in 1980 John says that's Paul he even recorded by himself in another room um, we came in and he'd made the whole record um, uh, you know I don't know what it was I enjoyed the track I can't speak for George but I was hurt when Paul would knock something off without involving us but that's just the way it was then but Ringo's a bit more prosaic that look you know you look at the numbers on the White Album only 16 of the 30 songs on the White Album have all four Beatles on mm. them so 14 of so basically half of all Beatles and 14 of them are just some kind of concoction of the three of them one two or three Beatles so Ringo is very prosaic to say you know 
you know, you know, nobody gave out, nobody said Ballad of John Yoko couldn't come out, you know, and that was just John and Paul. Yes. I mean, I, you know, Paul is quite defensive about this. Yeah. Um, there's a there's an updated version of the Hunter Davis book, and he says it wasn't a deliberate thing. John and George were tied up finishing something. Me and Ringo were free, just hanging around. So I said to Ringo, "Let's go and do this." So that's you think, well, yeah, he's fine. But then he goes on to say, anyway, he did the same with Revolution Nine. He went off and made that. You know, no one ever says that. Uh, John is a nice guy. I'm the bastard. It gets repeated all the time. So clearly, <laughs> it's not wasn't just a. Oh, it's not a deliberate thing. It was just, yeah. you know, in the same paragraph, he moves from saying it wasn't a deliberate thing to saying, well, anyway, what's he complaining about? He did this. And it's clearly a kind of tit for tat thing. Yeah. But it, you know, fair enough. And it's a great, uh, it's a great track um, for such a kind of odd uh, track. Uh, yeah. it's, it's brilliant. And again, take it out of the context of the white album. Maybe it doesn't work. Put it back in and it adds to the whole. It's another one of these things that they are defining this double album yeah. form where anything goes and, you know, it doesn't mean that you put substandard stuff on, but it means that you put on stuff that goes a little bit off the beaten track because you've got this larger construct in place. So, yeah, you know, when people talk about this nonsense notion of a single white album, maybe a track like this doesn't make the cut and you just fill it up with back in the USSRs yeah. and your dear prudences and all the rest. But you know, you have a double album and, you know, songs like this are designed for these spaces in between, you know, like Wild Honey Pie as well. You know? Yeah, I, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, they, they make sense. They they make sense in the context of the album. And they're, they're, they're create, they're redefining what, yeah. what a, what a, I was going to say what a pop album can be, but they're redefining what a rock album can be. It can be yeah. all of these things. Um, and again, this is another one that pops up at Twickenham. Um, just a line. Uh, <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, again, maybe kind of indicates John being still a bit narked, uh, where he sings, why don't we put it on the toast? <laughs> Which is a good gag, I have to admit, you know. It is a good gag. It is a good gag. Yeah. Ringo, Ringo, Ringo's playing away, you know, in the background. Uh, why don't we the, put the it on the The version that appears on the box set is quite sensational. It's just Paul, mm. and he's kind of hammering away in an acoustic guitar, and his voice is going all over the place. He goes yeah. into this kind of yeah. Prince-style falsetto at some point. And, you know, we, we talk about how Paul's voice has changed over the years and all of his, his voices are, are, are in that song. You know, you kind of hear, again, it's another little window into the 70s where he's using all these voices. They're all kind of coming to peak maturity. Um, so if you haven't listened to the box set in a while, it's worth digging out. You might, you might think on a box set, well, I'll just skip the bonus version yeah. if I don't want to do it in the road. Big mistake. Big mistake. Big mistake. I don't think Paul has sung this live, but there is something in the back of my head that maybe he has, but I couldn't. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find. Uh, I couldn't find a live version of that. Well, let us know, folks, if you've got. I'm sure one of the the nothing is real massive will be able to dig that out for us. Um, we are into the home stretch on side two of the Beatles' White Album. There are two songs left. Next up is. I Will, which was the 24th of the uh, 35 songs recorded for the White Album. It was not, uh, there was, it was composed in Richard Kesper, but it was not put down as an Isher demo. No. Um, as far as we know, we there's no demo version knocking around. And it's, it's, a, it's a classic kind of, you know, Paul moment. He's doing, why don't we do it in the road? And then the next thing up, he's doing I Will, and we don't bat an eyelid. It's just what he does. It's just what he does. And it's, a, it's a, it presumably, you know, we talked, mentioned before about the, the, the sort of sequencing session being so involved and so long. I mean, it, it's a deliberate juxtaposition 
of mm. of of this very kind of stripped back basic kind of carnal uh song and then you've got this the, this most kind of delicate of um love ballads that that, that yeah. Paul does and again Donovan's back <laughs> where is he? What's he doing now? Where is he? Well, well, uh, um, in our interview in 1994, uh, Paul says, you know, I was had this melody for a while. I remember sitting around in India with Donovan and maybe a couple of other people. We were just sitting around one evening after a day of meditation. I played him this one and he liked it. And we were trying to write some words. We kicked around a few lyrics, something about the moon, but they weren't very satisfactory. Um, oddly, Donovan has no recollection oh. of this. He's usually got a mind like a steel trap. He's normally yeah. He says, stuff. I, "I, I, don't think I help with the lyrics." He's very productive. Um, I will always take over the writing in a jam. From listening to the lyrics, I can hear Paul no doubt threw together the words when he got <laughs> threw together the words for this tune when he got to the studio after India. I may have helped with the shape of the chords that encouraged the imagery from tunes I wrote then in India. So it's more he's an influence. Uh, the descending movements of my songs may have encouraged Paul to write differently. Oh, that's very sweet of him. Um, I Will features Paul, John and Ringo. It was recorded on the 16th of September 1968. And as I said, it's the 24th track recorded for the album. Um, what's interesting about that session is that we have all these other little fragments that have popped up yep. in between, which are quite instructive as to the mood and the vibe. Yes. Yes. So uh, if you go to Anthology 3, uh, which has take one, um, and he's still playing around with the lyrics, you also get uh, Step Inside Love Mm. and uh, Lost Paranoias. Yes. Why don't you uh, enjoy us? (laughs) Well, yes. And you have Lost Paranoias. Now, the, 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 the... White Album box set has the full Lost Paranoia, yes. where Paul goes off extemporizing for two minutes, just making doodly trumpet noises it's and all the rest. Go from Ipanema, isn't it? It's that well, kind of there vibe. Is a, there is a vibe to the whole session where he's, um, you know, uh, and, you know, Paul said in 68, you know, you know, we're not rock and roll. You know, we, we, you know, when we were in Hamburg, we do lots of different types of stuff, play a mambo, do a rumba. Um, and so, you know, this sort of smoochy American girl from Ipanema vibe is what he discusses yeah. this song bringing. Um, and then as an extension of that, yeah, he's, he, he, you know, he plays Lost, uh, he, he sort of invents Lost Paranoias on the spot. And it feeds into this thing I kind of mentioned earlier on, which is this is a version of Paul, which is working here in the Beatles environment when he goes off and does this kind of stuff the following decade in Wings you know it's more like there's nobody in the room to say that's enough lost paranoia yes let's get back to the song and you know it doesn't stay in the vault it goes on to the album yeah. and that's the kind of the Beatles difference but that kind of doodling around messing around type Paul you know gets a lot more traction in the following 10 or 15 years it does and it, but it, that's it I mean it's fun to listen to Oh, it is. Yeah, you know, yeah. you you wouldn't have wanted it to be on the White Album, um, no. but it is. It is fun to listen to. Um, and then the other thing is the uh, the the can you take me back where I came from? Turns also up, comes also from comes this. From this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And that is also made up on the spot. You Seems listen to, to the be. box set yeah. version; it yeah. just evolves. He's reaching for the line, and eventually, once he gets to the line of "Can you take me back where I came from?" That's the line he just settles on. And again, they are. They've spent this time in India. They mantras are part of their world at this point, or they've they've dealt with mantras. There's mantras in their music, and can you take me back where I came from? Is another one of these kind of mantra moments, isn't it? It is. It absolutely is. And uh, again, there's something e- even 
lifting that line out of the context of the White Album and hearing him sort of settle on it that way. That's a fascinating kind of insight into the way yes. they're working, into the way, I mean, this stuff is just pouring out of Paul at this stage. You know, it's yeah. it's just his, 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 there's a, he has a facility that no one else, that George doesn't have, that John doesn't have. Um, mm. And you, you kind of think, well, if he was moved six months later to go back and lift that tape or that popped into his head again, he probably could have turned that into a fully fledged yeah. song. Uh, any of those things. Yeah, uh, but it, it, it is interesting, isn't it? Because the other thing they record on that night as well is they record a quick version of Blue Moon. So they're they're obviously in a very loosey-goosey vibe because, you you know, you, ha you have I Will, and then you have Blue Moon, Step Inside, Love Lost, Paranoia, and Can You Take Me Back Where I Came From? And all that stuff is obviously in the can, but they are wise enough to know when they are doing the Cry Baby Cry Revolution 9 link to actually pull that out, which is 100% the correct decision to make is to pull those uh, what 28 seconds yes, and stick it in between those two songs and it works brilliantly and again it's this vibe of the white album this slightly eerie vibe that they managed to summon up lord knows how and again you you compare what they're doing here with what they're doing you know a few months later in january 69 where mm. they're kind of sitting around with cameras on them and they they can't recreate this kind of no, vibe. Like, like this is the session you'd love to have had a camera yeah. at, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. Where they're just, uh, you have Paul, John and Ringo just goofing around having yeah, fun. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe maybe it's because there's three of them. You know, there's, you, you hear some of the engineers saying, yeah, if there were, if there was one or two or three, it was, there was a kind of looser vibe to the thing. You add the, any, any you know, you have four of them, mm. it, it the atmosphere kind of changed. But uh, yeah, this is absolutely where you want cameras uh, in, in the studio. And, you know, you hear John and kind of enjoying himself and laughing. Paul sings one version of I won't. And John goes, you will, you know, you know, all that kind of goofing around is, is still in place. And there's a nice document in the White Album box set of, um, you know, John has kind of gotten all these visual ideas to go with the songs. And he's written these handwritten notes. Yes. And one of my favorite ones is for Helter Skelter is the Beatles on a Helter Skelter. You know, it's <laughs> <laughs> just the most literal idea. When he was on, when ever. he was good, he was on fire. You oh, know? He just, yeah, he couldn't, he couldn't beat that. Um so uh, the song, though, I will, takes 67 takes that night to eventually uh, come together with all these, you know, diversions that they go off. At. After take 65, John shouts, that was it, wasn't it? Um, and they try two more attempts, but it is take 65 is the one that uh, makes it onto the, the album. Something about the song, uh, again, you know, listening to it come before we were chatting today is... It's very Paul Simony, and it's very like what Paul Simon was about to do, early solo Paul Simon. Yes, it's. I was going to say it's not like Simon and Garfunkel. It's like it's it it's. Yeah, this is solo Paul Simon. Yeah, yeah, it could have slipped onto that first Paul Simon yeah. album yeah. pretty easily, you know. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, and then there's the the the, well, is somebody playing a bass or what's going on? This is yeah. The bass line is Paul doing the vocalizing the dum 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 impersonation of a bass and um i never noticed this until yeah. uh, you know i read maybe it was mark lewison's book I, it was fairly late you know i'd had this album for 15 20 years and i'd never noticed this but once someone says that to you and you go back and listen to it you think how did i not notice <laughs> yes that, that was that that's paul it's a song he's singing the bass line 
He loves that kind of stuff. It's I'm thinking of put it there when he's kind of slapping his thighs for the percussion, yeah. you know. Although that's, that a, although that's a terrible song, but uh Oh god, no, can we have an hour on that? I like put it there. Oh, anyway. it's just uh, so twee yeah. and so awful. Does anybody say put it there? Put it put it there <laughs> if it weighs a ton? Nobody's ever said that. Uh yeah, his dad said it to him all the no, time. No, he didn't. And uh, his dad used to say loads of phrases to him like bang bang maxwell silver hammer that's one of yeah. his dad's phrases yeah. anyway i you know it would be a fool who would say that the beatles performed this song live or would it it wouldn't they did do it live when Stephen? they did live <laughs> oh they did it live jason on the yes. 20 23rd of june 1994 paul and george on ukuleles with ringo looking on yeah. Ringo on, it, on good vibes. Ringo on the grass. Not that grass. Yeah, the, the actual other grass. grass. The actual grass. Um, yeah, and which which is on the anthology extras. Yes. And it is funny where their mind goes, for where their mind ends up when they're kind of reaching for songs in, in that moment. Because George plays Dara Dune. And, yeah. you know, it, it's, it, it's interesting that this is what bubbles up to their and, top well, of their consciousness. Yeah, the, the interesting thing is George, George wasn't on the original track. No, that's true, actually. <laughs> so, this kind of, do you remember that song I didn't play on? Yeah, let's do that. You, again, you, you, I, I want to see the lead in to that. I want to see yes. the, the whole, this is, this is supposedly the 23rd of June is the day that George kind of, making up. Of, he's kind of making yeah. up. It's like, well, sure, come over to my place. Have you, have you, I have a bit of a garden. We can wander around and sit in and, and, and record something in my garden. There's room for a camera set up. Mm. Um, <laughs> So yeah, it's, I I want to see the kind of build up to that because that 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 whole sequence is odd. Where yeah. There's kind of a lot of again, there's a lot of kind of passive aggressive stuff going on at one point uh, with with them saying, "Oh, Paul saying, do you remember we all went down to the cinema in India and George is just ignoring when Paul goes, oh, obviously not." Um, but but this is a genuinely kind of affecting little performance. So yeah, the Beatles did this live. They did do it live. I do wonder, was Paul in the MPL offices the week before going, get me a list of Beatles songs that George wasn't on? <laughs> and then doing a bit of a run through, you know? Possibly, possibly. Uh, but uh, yeah, they, they did do it live. Technically, it does count, you know? Well, let's say rather that than them suddenly saying, hey, do you remember that song? Why don't we do it in the road? Let's do that, you know, on, on ukuleles. Hi. Well, maybe that's why. Maybe they, that's why George digs out Deridun. He's like, okay, well, here's one you here's don't one know. You don't that, know. So. Yeah, could um, be. But uh, yeah, you can obviously all all nothing is real episodes are becoming interconnected, so you can yep. go off and listen to our, our anthology episodes. Um, and that is "I Will," which is a song that still lives on. I, and, uh, yes, I love this song. It this is a great is, song. I, I have to say, it's kind of you know absolutely top tier. Paul, uh, yeah, I, I, I can forgive Paul anything when he pulls <laughs> when he pulls out songs like this. Well, he does say uh, it's one of my favourite melodies that I've written. You occasionally get lucky with a melody and it becomes rather complete. And I think this is one of them, quite a complete tune. And he's he's right. It's it's an all in one kind of vibe like yesterday. It, it just it, it's one of those things like, oh, why doesn't why hasn't this existed already? It just it, makes exactly, perfect yeah. sense. And, and the lyrics as well. I mean, the lyrics just flow. The lyrics just yeah. scan perfectly. And again, very Paul Simon in that sense. Yeah. You know, there's nobody does that better than Paul Simon. But this is this is a wonderful song. Um, and that brings us to the end of side two and the second John Lennon song uh, on, on side two, only two John Lennon songs on side two of the White Album, which is Julia. And um, incredibly, Julia is the 35th and final song 
uh, out of 35 to be recorded for the White Album. And we mentioned when we were talking about I'm So Tired was that uh, uh, John had a notebook and he was numbering Mm. the songs as he went along. I'm So Tired was number 12. Julia is number one. So it's quite a journey to go from the first song that he apparently wrote in India, uh, Julia, about his mum, to go all that length of time to leave it till the very end, the last a new song recorded for the album that it's percolating all of that time and 68 is the 10th anniversary of yes. his mother's death yes uh, and I guess whatever it was that provoked these feelings these this reflection you know Yoko entering the picture you know total sea change in his life um, Julia you know for all of Paul's gymnastics on side two of the White Album Julia's an incredible song it's an unbelievable song it's yeah. it's it's a fantastic song, and again, such a personal song. Um, but the 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 mood of the song is such that he's taking again this personal experience and turning it into something universal that that you can you can connect to. Um, this is the only Beatles song that John recorded on his own. Yeah, it's the only just John song. Just John song, and yeah. you think uh, obviously. Because it was such a personal thing, maybe he he felt maybe that's one the reason why it took him to the end of the sessions to to bring it bring it into the studio and think right I'm going to do it, but also why no one else is on this. So Paul is there. He's kind of you know, but Paul again, is encouraging. Paul is he is yes he's there in the studio. He's encouraging, very supportive, very supportive uh, of this. And there there are there are. I think three or four, there are four demos uh, mm. recorded of this. And there is, it is on the Isha demo. So it is obviously, you know, there for a, a consideration. Yes. But you think maybe it's just, it, it prefigures Plastic Ono Band. It prefigures that kind of exposing his kind of inner emotions in a way that perhaps he hasn't done before. It's 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 hard to recalibrate because you know you know you do podcasts like this and you say yeah Julia it's a song about his mother blah yeah. blah blah but actually think about you know Julia is somebody who Paul McCartney would have known yes uh, you know he still talks about her fondly even last year he is discussing her with Sean Lennon in no, interviews that for, was very moving that was very touching that Sean Lennon is saying you've met her what was she yeah. like yeah. and Paul is laying it out so. You know, and we live in a different time now where people are always talking about their feelings, Stephen. You know, you and me always talking about our feelings. Always, (laughs) But what would it have meant in 1968 in the maelstrom of the Beatles for, you know, for Paul to realise what John was writing about, what John was saying? Mm. And, you know, I, I can't imagine that there was a specific explicit conversation about it that I wonder, was it just more of a known, you know, you know, you know what this song is about, and we need to we need to yes. make it real. You 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 imagine that must have been the case. Mm. Um, you, you know, for all that uh, that their relationship and the, the the closeness that they had, you you can't imagine. No, it's hard to imagine them sitting down to have that kind of conversation. Gosh, yeah, you know but, the thing. Uh, you know, they, uh, yeah. Paul talks about the fact that one of the fact that the thing that they had in common was that each of them had lost their mother at an early age, um, but. Yeah, that that must have been just an unspoken link or an unspoken bond. Um, yes, but certainly, certainly, uh, you know, as you say, Paul is there. He's being very supportive and in, in, encouraging. You know, um, and what he does is he also 
kind of works references into the song to Yoko. Yes, so Yoko for this, is for, Ocean Child. Ocean Child. So this for for this to be the first song he records in India, mm. you, you know he he brings and and you know we need to we need to get a professional psychiatrist in to examine that whole sort of confluence of Yoko and mother and John's mother well, fixations yes. and John's mother issues and um, but it, it it is a song that draws you in. Yeah. Without requiring you to unpack that. Yeah. And in early versions, I mean, you know, we talk about it being the first song he writes in India and the last song he records for the album, but it is hanging around all year. And, mm. you know, Ocean Child at one point is Silent Cloud, but even Silent Cloud seems like a reference to Yoko because she's, I imagine me as a cloud up in the sky yes, is yes. kind of the, the vibe that she's going for. And, you know, he's recording demos, you know, even pre Esher by himself, uh, you know, over in Kenwood. And, you know, uh, you can't, uh, it's, it, you know, May 68 in John Lennon's universe is a, uh, you know, it's the month that he finally, you know, hooks up with Yoko. And, you know, there's a lot going on is probably the, 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 the understatement the understatement, of the year. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and again, this is a song, he has the vocal arrangement worked out, those yes. kind of overlapping lines. And again, that is much more... You know, if you listen to John's other demos of other songs, they're they're very basic. Mm. Um, you know, it's him with the piano, him with the acoustic guitar. Here, he's he's worked out the arrangement, which seems to be to be much more uh, sort of redolent of the way that Paul works. You know, Paul yes. hears the arrangement. Paul comes in. The White Album, they do a lot of, I suppose, what. I suppose you would call it pre-production work um, in the Isha demos, but it's it, it's odd, I think, that John has this arrangement worked out so precisely. You know, frequently he's coming in with pretty ropey demos. You know, these things are available uh, on the internet, and I, I, I think the arrangement here is is significant uh, in terms of what he's putting into it and how much this well, song means he, to him. Well, that's exactly it. It's how much the song means to him, mm. and that he is not going to just rock and roll out a song about his mom that he's really going to work out. And even when the time comes, you know, George and Ringo are nowhere to be seen and, and it's just Paul. And he knows that no matter what, Paul has his back. And we've said it before, Paul never, never kind of undercut a John song that yeah. I can really recall, you know, and, uh, he, you know, he, he would have been plugged into exactly the, the vibe. And you hear a little bit of that on the anthology version where Paul is being, you know, no, we're yes. really there. We've almost got it. He's, yeah. You yeah. know, he's, he's trying to, 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 to get it out of him. And there is on the box set, you know, a little strummed version as well, which just doesn't work. You know, it doesn't work. And he knows it doesn't work. No. Um, and again, we're back to this kind of finger picking Donovan style. Yeah, uh, Donovan is part of this. And, you, you know, in terms of the finger picking, you compare, you know, we, we talked about Blackbird earlier on where, you know, Paul is doing finger picking, but he's filtering it through back. And it's, mm. you know, you listen to the Blackbird bootlegs and Paul is having no problem playing this music. Whereas you get to John recording Julia and he's really, he's really having to sweat it, you yeah. know? Um, and, you know, he doesn't have that total let go facility to just play it no but he knows no. what he wants he knows what he wants he knows what he wants and i say he's working on the arrangement um i i i think it's a fantastic song uh, amazing song 
It is a fantastic song. And, you know, the, the, the studio tricks in it in terms of double tracking the guitar, which gives it a sort of slightly, again, dreamlike out yeah. of sync type vibe. The overlapping vocals. So, you know, again, gives it that dreamlike vibe of thoughts or things cascading out. It has a vibe that would have worked well uh, if it had gone over to a song like Across the Universe, I think, you know. Yes, it's interesting to compare those two, actually, how, how he kind of struggled with Across the Universe and he always mm. sort of felt he wasn't being supported. Um, uh, I mean, I always, by the other Beatles, by Paul in particular, I think that, I always think that's unfair because he doesn't come in with anything in mind. He's just casting around in the studio for some kind of arrangement or some kind of instrumentation. Here, he's giving this song the, the kind of attention that it deserves in a way that frequently he didn't. And Across the Universe, I think, is a good example of that. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, uh, you know, We've talked a lot about Donovan here. Donovan has spoken about this song that, uh, you know, he has spoken about John had said to him he wanted to write a song about his mother. Mm. And uh, he says, Donovan, you're the king of children's songs. Can you help me? And uh, it's 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 quite a striking quote. Do you want to go through that? It is, yeah. So to Donovan says, I asked him exactly what it was that he wanted to do. And he said, I want to write a song about the childhood that I never really had with my mother. He asked me to help him with the images that he could use and lyrics for a song about that subject. So I said, well, when you think of the song, where do you imagine yourself? And John said, I'm at a beach. I'm holding hands with my mother and we're walking together. And I helped him with a couple of lines, uh, seashell eyes, windy smile for the Lewis Carroll, Alice in Wonderland field that, jo- field that John loved so much. And the song, which you may know, is the amazing Julia. Hmm. I haven't told many people that before, he says. He says, has he, though? He might have. He might have. He might have. He might have. Um, I have to admit, yeah. I was going to say, but but we have to, we do have to kind of say... No, we have to doff our cap to Donovan. Absolutely. Donovan is all over this album, and he kind of helps send them in a particular direction. And if you think, if if he did nothing else but uh, kind of help birth songs like Julia and Blackbird, you know... Mm. You know, the other person who was in India with them was Mike Love. Is he responsible in some part for back in the USSR? Was that written to annoy I, him? I wonder. I, I think, I, I, yes, there's a, there's, there, well, <laughs> I hope so. There is a, no, 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 no. I think if, if there, I was really hoping when the White Album box set came out, there, there's a song called Happy Birthday, Michael Love. Oh, yeah. Oh, you've heard that. Yeah. And it's that kind of chugging back in the USSR feel and and they they they're they're singing it's mike's birthday and they're singing this song to him and they're chugging and there is no doubt that that is the genesis of of back in the ussr if you kind of play that song and then the uh isha demo of, of of back in the ussr and then the final version you think that that's a direct line and i was really disappointed that 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 kind of that that rishikesh version didn't didn't come out so um I, i'm prepared to i'm pre- i'm prepared to give mike love a nod but, but donovan, donovan i i think uh, donovan you, casts a longer yeah, shadow he casts a very big shadow over this album and uh, yes Let, let's let's not go off onto a mike love no, tangent let's not uh i have to say personally julia is one of the white album songs i knew before i heard the white album and might have been one of the reasons why i got the white album because i uh in late 88, I got the soundtrack for Imagine John Lennon. Do you remember that uh, yes, documentary? Yes, yes, yes. And that had a, a spectacular 21-track um, uh, soundtrack that came with it uh, of solo Lennon and Beatles songs. It's yeah. kind of gone out of print, but it was a yeah. fantastic compilation at the time. And the Beatles songs 
featured on it, which are very obviously because it's a Lenin documentary or kind of Lenin heavy or twist and shout help in my life. Strawberry Fields Forever, A Day in the Light, Revolution, The Ballad of John and Yoko, Julia and Don't Let Me Down. And they were the first Beatles songs I had on CD. And I remember having that compilation and thinking, Julia, you know, that to me. I was like, that's that's a Beatles song as well as, you know, the kind of the mop top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Type songs. That's a really striking when you see it in that context of those Beatles songs. That's a really striking difference. You know, it's not help and it's not Strawberry Fields Forever. It's it's yet another thing. So, yeah, w- when I got the White Album, as I said, Julia was, you know, I knew what that song was like and what that was about. And to actually see it fit in the context of the album and to have it. And, you know, this really important song, Closing Side 2, Closing Album 1. I don't think you would close an album with a song like that, but it certainly makes sense closing Album 1. Yes, yes, it does. And again, back to this idea of just the sequencing and how much much time and thought has gone into that. Um, Yeah, it's difficult. It's difficult to think of this album being sequenced any differently. Yes. And, you know, it's 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 hard to know when exactly, uh, you know, as we as we kind of move away from looking at site two as a whole and the album as a whole, it, it, it does seem like possibly some of these decisions were made on the fly in that big 24 hour October 68 session. It yeah. certainly seems, as we said, not guilty, got kicked out at the last minute and uh, they obviously had to make decisions or concessions based on you know the, the 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 timing of each album side. Well, that 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 that's it. That's it. And the 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 thing is, you you know, if you go back to that New Yorker article about uh, the songs of innocence and the literal songs of innocence on the first two songs or two sides, um, you know, Julia is the perfect kind of foreshadowing of that slightly odd, darker feeling that's the vibe that's going to come uh, on sides three and four, you know? Um, yeah, and I, I think you can, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to be totally, uh, you know, simplistic about it, but certainly the second half of the album, album two kind of leans a bit more heavily into Lennon. Yes. Uh, you know, an album one leans a little bit towards Paul because you think of album two, you're heading into, you know, your blues and sexy Sadie and revolutions one and nine and all that cry, baby cry. Uh, whereas album one has opened a deal with dad back in the USSR and all the rest, uh, you know, not that it matters because the whole thing, you know, again, there's a lot of accidental stuff happening on the white album, but the fact that it's just blank called the Beatles and it's anything goes means that uh, it just works somehow. It, I think, I think that's that's the final verdict. It just works somehow. It, <laughs> the whole Beatles enterprise just the works Beatles somehow. Just works somehow. But it comes back to the usual thing about what do you think, everybody? What is the best side of the White Album? You know, this opens the door in the future for us to look at. Where, which side should we go to in the future? Which one's the next? I don't know, maybe uh, side well, four. We've, we've we're side four, but we've already spent so much time on uh, we, revolution. We, we did two that's whole right. episodes on revolution. Could we get <laughs> could we get a third uh, episode? Yes. Of course we can. Of course we could. Could we get an entire episode out of Wild Honey Pie? Anything is possible. Anything is possible. Anything is possible. Um, but that is side two of the White Album, and obviously our goal here is always to send you back to the records and to send you just back to one side of one half of one record in particular. But, but also the box set. The box and, set. And the box set. 
said. The box set uh, is, I think, out of the you know the Pepper White Album Abbey Road box set is by far the best one. It has a, a you know, and, and the book itself is a phenomenal read. Even if it didn't have the music in it, that <laughs> yes. book is an essential yeah. book yeah. for any Beatle person to have on their shelves. And uh, the amount of reproduction of photographs and documents and everything in it, it's it's absolutely fantastic. But I'm sure you all have access to a copy somewhere. Um, but what do you think, uh, everybody? Uh, get in touch the usual places, Twitter at Beatles Pod, the Nothing's Real Facebook group run by Stephen. Uh, we're on Instagram, we're on TikTok, uh, we're on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel, so please subscribe there. We'll be putting things up there uh, all the time, including things that you can't get on the podcast. And all of it comes through nothingisrealpod.com, our website. And we're always delighted to hear from you and uh, continue the conversation. But for now, my name is Jason Carty. My name is Stephen Cockcroft. And this has been Nothing Is Real. Thank you for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thanks for listening to Nothing Is Real. We hope you enjoyed today's episode, and if you did, why not become a member? You'll get access to ad-free content, bonus episodes, and so much more. Follow the link in the show notes, sign up on ACAST+, or visit our website, nothingisrealpod.com.